Praise the Lord. Well, our, our little theme here coming out of Easter is where life begins. And, uh, and I, I really did a, uh, an interesting shift with that title, didn't I, huh? Last week, did you all survive? So we talked about where life begins. Life begins on the inner side of pain. And for anybody that's dealt with pain, anybody that's had chronic pain, anybody that's gone through situations of pain, uh, you know a little bit of what I'm talking about. Anybody gone through situations of physical pain in the room today? Yeah. And so, you know, chronic pain can be overwhelming. And I'm talking about physically uh, initially. And and that was the, the, the power of our metaphor last week was to talk about uh, how physical pain uh, uh, can be, it can be that which is short-lived, it can be temporary, and uh, many times there's not much of a setback when it's something like that, but if it's chronic, uh, if it's through some form of disease or some kind of blunt trauma, then if it's chronic, then it can be uh, very, very powerful. And what we find uh, that that is normal, natural, that is right to do, is we, we find that it's uh, to seek some kind of medication, some kind of help, some kind of medication. Any of you ever taken any medication for pain? Anybody in the building? Yeah, four of you. That's good. Praise the Lord. That's great. That's great. I talked a little bit about, you know, breaking my leg and uh, when the guy ran into me on the motorcycle and just kind of how that, that went. That was, uh, that was painful. But, you know, some of us have experienced... Uh, the chronic pain of disease as well. So cancer, Crohn's, there's so many uh, fibromyalgia. There's so many sources of pain, and uh, it's right for us to seek medication. It's right. It's normal for us, uh, and, and if we don't get something to dull that pain, then it becomes very debilitating. Uh, we, we can't think well. Fact is, it could be that, that all we can think about is the pain. Have you ever, you ever had just a, a low-grade pain and you were, you were doing just fine until you went to bed? It's kind of like you can't hear the train in Puyallup from South Hill until night. And then I'm always amazed how loud that thing is. It's like, what in the world? It's just like when everything else gets quiet all at once, things that weren't grabbing your attention, get louder. You follow what I'm saying? And, and likewise, you know, with, with pain, you know, uh, surgery on my knee or uh, falling off the, you know, back of the building and crushing those vertebrae, whatever, you know, you go to bed and all at once everything gets quiet and that pain is magnified in the presence of quiet. And we can feel that. And, and I was thinking this morning about physical pain. You know, it starts, with, it starts with one incident, most of the time, one incident or one accident or maybe one germ. You know, there's one, there's one genesis to that which becomes chronic. And I want to pull our hearts over to think about our soul. And, and this is where we went last week a little bit is talking about pain of soul. Because as much... As much as we tend to medicate pain of the body, we tend to seek medication for the pain of the soul. 
And the pain of our soul is just as real, just as powerful, probably more powerful than pain of the body. The pain of our soul is, is actually more of a center to draw us away, to affect our imagination, our attention, our focus, our future. The pain of our soul is extremely loud. It's loud. And it can be loud in the midst of noise, the pain of our soul. And and a lot of times we just don't know how to treat the pain of our soul. A lot of times we don't we don't pay attention. And so just as with pain of the body, it is it's normal to seek medication. It's normal with pain of the soul to seek medication. And a lot of why we're here is because we want to medicate in the Lord. We want to learn to medicate the way God has ordained. We want to medicate in such a way that we don't want to medicate the way, and this is part of why we're here today. We don't want to medicate the soul the way the world medicates the soul. We want to medicate the way God has ordained because when we medicate in the Lord and after the manner of what he's taught us in the word, then what happens is we find healing. Remember at winter camp, uh, one of the girls was prayed for and she'd been cutting herself and the miracle in the morning was the scars were gone. Remember that? That happened this year at winter camp. That's what God wants to do with your soul. That's what God wants to do with your soul is that, that not only does he bring healing, but not long you look and even the scars are gone. And things shift and things change. And this is, this is God's heart for us. God's heart for us. And last week I gave you a few things, but this week I was drawn, rather than going into a formula and just thinking about, okay, formulas and, and things, and we talk a lot about that in Restored Life. And this fact is this, this last week was a powerful week in Restored Life. We, we, had, we had a presence from the Lord touched down in such a gracious way that I think most of us kind of felt like we were in revival right there. It was so rich. It was so goals of what I think is part of God medicating our soul. It was on the heels of the lesson that we had the week before. So not this last Wednesday, but the week before, we went through Lesson 5 in Restored Life. We went through the Release Lesson, the Mercy Lesson, the Let Others Go Lesson, the, the, the Cancel the Debt Relationship uh, Lesson. And we, we talked about giving your debts over to God. And one of the things that I talked about is that we can't come into our restoration until we turn our vengeance over to God, until we cast our debt on Him, until we, until we give Him fully what it is that that perpetrator has done to us and turn that perpetrator over to Him. And, and this, is, this is Genesis 12. This is Romans chapter 12. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Never take, ne- never take up your own vengeance, but leave room for the wrath of God. So part of that is understanding who your enemy is, and part of what we're learning in church in a healthy way, we're learning your enemy is not people. Even your perpetrator is not your enemy. Your enemy is Satan. Your enemy is Satan. 
So I, I was sharing that we got into talking about restoration. I went into a big rabbit trail. I was enjoying myself real well. Preachers to work with you for restoration. And I told them how that, that you become a deputy working with God in restoration. Did you know that? You become a deputy working with God as the representative of Jesus in the earth when you work with him for restoration. So rather than like freaking out over your pain, freaking out over what's caused pain, like wringing your hands and losing your life over what's caused pain, you can actually take a position in Christ and declare the enemy brings back what was stolen from you. Now, this is kind of a crazy concept, and I don't know that it's a concept we've gotten into, but I'm into holy experimentation. And so as the Holy Spirit began to show me this years ago, I began to experiment with it and have fun with it. So the first instance when, was when I bought the boys a motorbike. Years ago, I bought the boys. We bought the boys a motorbike. Um, I think Caleb was like 13 and um, got it for him for Christmas. It was uh, kind of the first Wolf family motorbike. And it wasn't long. We left it in the trailer out in front of the house, and it was stolen. So we woke up that morning. Motorbike was gone. Family freaks out. And uh, I just started declaring that uh, Satan was going to bring the motorbike back. Family reunion. Uh, and so, of course, we're talking to the police department on the way. And, and uh, everybody, you know, just kind of wanting to freak out over this kind of a thing, right? Uh, but on the way back, they called and they said, hey, Mr. Wolf, we've received a very unusual phone call. Uh, there's somebody that's got your motorbike and they want to return it to you. And they're going to leave it for us at a particular location at 2.30 this afternoon. Would you like to come and recover it? This was the first in our experimentation of seeing God work recovery as we worked with him as deputized in Jesus to demand not that this, we weren't speaking to a person. Our anger was not with person, a person. Our, our, our confrontation was not with a person. It was with him who moved the person with regard to the theft. So then uh wasn't long after that, and, and we got, yeah, I got three little stories here for you, but I think it's encouraging. It's part of our message today. So it wasn't long after that, uh, maybe a couple years, three years, we uh, we got uh, Solomon Sterling Wolf, a little peewee 90, and, and one Sunday we were at church, and somebody came in the backyard through our fence, took the peewee 90, uh, returned. And uh, so that went on for years, uh, actually years declaring Every time I would think of it, I would say, Satan, you return that thing. The Lord rebuke you. You will restore that thing. In the meantime, our jet skis were stolen. So in the meantime, our jet skis were stolen. We had those parked out front. Uh, people from Spanaway shop in our neighborhood. I just want to tell you that right now. Sorry. So anyway, uh, bless you. Uh, so... So our jet skis were stolen, so we started declaring that Satan would return those jet skis. And the and, uh, fact is we had summer camp coming, and we used them every year for summer camp. So we just begin to say, by summer camp, those jet skis will be returned. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. So every time we thought of that, we would say that. And I had uh, Como or King or Cairo or somebody come out and film a little commercial uh, reporting about this right there at the jet skis. We talked about it. And then we made that into a uh, a DVD, and we kind of, you know, we were just kind of distributing that, posted it on Facebook, and 
And uh, so Caleb is out on Lake Taps. Skis stolen. I want to show you this video. video. And the guy that bought my jet skis from the lady that stole them was sitting in that room. And he said, uh, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, I, I, I bought those. I, I, I have those. And the young life leader says, well, I think you should return them. And he said, I think you're right. And he returned them the day of summer camp. So it wasn't long after that, the phone rang. It was, it was Pierce County Sheriff's Department four years later. And they said, Mr. Wolf, do you own a Wee 90? And I'm like, yeah. Well, we, we got somebody that wants to restore that to you. So I'm telling these stories because this just happens. This just happens. And this is just, this will happen in your life. I'm telling these stories two Wednesday nights ago. And Alicia, one of our Hispanic ladies, was here in the meeting. And she was wearing her earphone, listening to the translation. Dennis Santiago was doing the translation that night. And uh, she took note of all of that, and she went home. This is two Wednesday nights ago. She went home, and she said, I'm going to demand that my son's car is restored. And so a month before that Wednesday night, here's the back. Now, if you know anything about these uh, thefts like this, uh, you, you might know that the police department, they can just do so little about this stuff. And in Puyallup alone, over 350 cars are stolen a year. And, and just, you know, good luck. I mean, it's just like... Every day, stuff's getting stolen like crazy, and they don't have enough detectives to stay up with it. So she goes home, and she declares that Satan restores her son's car. That night, she goes to bed. She goes to sleep. She has a dream, and in this dream, God is fetching her car and bringing it to her. The next day, the police department call, and her car, her son's car, have been, has been recovered. So then they said, this is a really weird story. We don't know how in the world this happened, but this car, it appears that it had been taken out of state, registered out of state. The title is from out of state, but somehow, somehow it appeared in, in our city today. You think angels are big enough just to kind of fly cars up from Arizona and just drop them, just drop them in Tacoma? I think so. You know, some of those, that's what it is. So I want to talk to you a little bit about your perspective on God, though, today. This is what I want to talk to you about, is, is your perspective on God, your perspective on pain, uh, your, your view of God. And, and I, I want to talk to you about it because I, I think that our view of God, our perspective on our pain uh, relative to our view of God could, could really hinder or help our processing of pain. Letting debts go, treating people in a, in a merciful manner, having a, having a right perspective, having a right perspective. Because either, either our perspective toward God relative to our pain will help us become an overcomer, or it'll help us become a deeper victim. Option A, I want to give this to you. Option A, this is a theology that many of us hold. God is sovereign over all circumstances. Since the time that evil was conquered by Jesus, all evil has been conquered. By the way, uh, several theologians that have 
crafted the foundation of Western theology believe this, and this is much of where our theological influences come from in Western theology. Therefore, there really is no evil because all things are meant for my benefit. In his sovereignty, God allowed my pain. Since God allowed land for me, then the one I would have picked, even if I don't understand it, I don't need to worry or be anxious. All things happen for a reason. I don't need to know the reason. I just need to trust these things are happening because he's wiser than I am. If I trust him, he will get me through this life, even though it will be hard at times. I'm not supposed to necessarily have a good life. I'm supposed to find him in my circumstances. Now, that sounds very spiritual, and by the way, it can be proven and justified with many scriptures. And, and I'll just drop this on you, that, that with option A and with that theology, if you think painful experiences are probably from God, you probably just gave Satan a theology to hide pain behind. Option B. God is not sovereign over all circumstances, but he does have a divine plan. We are not robots moved along by his manipulation. He's turned the earth over to us and given us sovereignty over ourselves. He has a plan for us in our generation, and he reveals that plan to us as we seek him. The Lord does not intervene in circumstances necessarily or always or often to stop abuse or pain or suffering or hardship, except where... There is a faith relationship between he and mankind. Where there is a faith covenant relationship, he will be our help. And if he doesn't, we have an enemy who is active and often engaged in the lives of mankind. At times, we are damaged by those who work with this enemy. Father has an amazing plan, though, written of us in his book, and he will use all things to bring that plan to fulfillment when we look to him in active faith. He's given us faith as a shield. He's given us the sword of his spirit, his word, as a weapon. He's given us the authority and the power of Jesus, the victorious son, so we might subdue the enemy of our destiny. He delights in us taking authority over Satan, recognizing that not all things that cause pain are that which we should accept or yield to. I had this dropped in my spirit uh, a couple weeks ago and, and, and again this week, and I want to just give it to you because many times we picture the enemy as somebody that we should just really be afraid of and should be trembling before or shouldn't mess with or should avoid or just should put on our horse blinders and just ignore that there is an enemy and that God will just take care of everything for us. But I, I, just, want to, I just want to submit this to you. We are doing the right thing when we assert the authority of the perfect man, Jesus, over demon spirits. This is actually what they expect us to do. Caleb bought a truck the other night. Uh, he got his truck down in Battleground and drove the truck, examined the truck, called me on the phone 30 minutes examining the truck, finds all the faults with the truck, hits the guy with the lowest offer on the planet. The guy thought for about five seconds and said, okay. Caleb was baffled. Caleb was baffled. He was rent. He was upset. He was rent. 
He called me like, Dad, what in the world? What should I do? Should I give him more money? I expected he'd meet me halfway. I, I expected he would at least see, say halfway. I mean, they always say, meet me in the middle. He, he didn't say that. You know what? Satan is so baffled when he harms you, when he pains you, when he afflicts you, and you just take it. You just say, okay. I mean, he's, he, he is, these guys are wired for you to respond with a no way. With a not in my town, not on my family, not on my watch. They are wired. They expect you to operate that way. And when you don't, they are like, what in the world? They're, I mean, these guys are like baffled. Like, what, what is up with this guy? It's actually right. It's actually proper. It's actually natural that you would assert the authority of the perfect man over them. And they're baffled when we don't. This is actually what brings order to all things. They are not meant to roam about and cause trouble. When we assert authority under order, we need not fear doing what is right. When demon influence brings harm and we allow it, we dismiss it, we don't recognize it, we don't arrest it, they're baffled and amazed and it shouldn't be. Let's do what's right. Let's do what's right. I want to read from you the story of Joseph because obviously I believe option B in our theology choice this morning is the option. Option A is not the option. Option B is the option. Option B is the option. And I want to read to you a story, the story of Joseph. Real quick, just touch on Joseph because Joseph just, he lit me up as I thought about this because Joseph lived so close to Abraham. You know, Abraham lived to be 175 years old. So the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, did you know Isaac lived to be 180 years old? Did you know that Isaac, Grandpa Isaac was alive when Joseph at 17 was sold to the Midianites? Grandpa Isaac was alive. Joseph demonstrates a, a, a really cool option B faith that I think is so critical, so important when we deal with pain. We would have brought uh, various levels of, of antidepressants. We would find him maybe addicted to some things. We would, we would find that he had a post-traumatic stress disorder and probably needed government assistance or some kind of Social Security. We would, we would find that if you took the hardship of Joseph and, and put it on our culture today, we, we would find uh, Joseph would be a tremendous mess. But Joseph reflects. Now, Joseph... Joseph comes along quite a few years, like 350 years before the law, and Joseph is super close to Abraham. And so, and, and so remember, Moses wrote the, the Torah, and so up until Moses, everything was oral. And so this visitation that Abram had when he, was, when he was still living in Ur of the Chaldees, 
that visitation that he had, the promise that God spoke over him. I mean, this was told to kid after kid after kid after kid. Everything was oral. Everything was oral. These stories were oral. This is how God visited me in Genesis 12. We read it in 12, but, it, but they didn't have, they had oral. They had, they were talking. They were sharing these stories. They were, and so he is the great-grandson of Abraham. Abraham has just barely passed away, by the way, when he comes along. Isaac is born when Jacob is born when Isaac is 60 years old. So you, these guys were super close to each other. And I think sometimes when we read the story of Joseph, we tell the story of Joseph, we look at the perspective of Joseph. Sometimes we don't fit it in the right time frame and understand this guy was so knit to the patriarchs. This guy was so close. And at 17, he'd gone through bar mitzvah. He already knew as, as much as bar mitzvah was in that oral traditional way. But Mainly and primarily, he was close to the patriarchs and schooled in the school of faith. That's why when we look at Joseph's life, and here he is, this this young man of favor with this robe of favor. When we look at Joseph's life and we see him so close to the life of Abraham and coming out of the lineage of the patriarchs, we can trust here's a story that we can lean into. Here's a perspective we can lean into. Here's something that God was doing that we can lean into. Is that all right? You still good? Genesis 37.1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending his flocks, with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah, sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, Israel loved Israel, another name for Jacob. Israel loved made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now, when we think about the abuse that, we, that, that, uh, the abuse that he endured, the abuse that he endured started at a super early age by a lot of brothers. I mean, this went on. This wasn't like when he was 17 on a particular day, they got ticked off and threw him in a cistern, stripped off his robe, beat the pulp out of him and dropped him into a cistern. That, that, that wasn't the day. This started way back. So he's enduring a lot of abuse. He's enduring, like, he's the last one in the food line. He's, he's the last one here. He's the last one there. I mean, there was a lot of abuse. There was a lot of animosity. There was a lot of hatred. They couldn't stand him. They couldn't speak one kind word to him. There was a lot of pain. We're talking about a history, 17 years of history of pain. And when we finally get up to this particular story, they dump him in a cistern. If it weren't for Reuben, the others would have killed him. And then they sell him to be a slave. So 
some huge contradictions of everything that God was doing in his life. I mean, dad says, you're my favorite. Dad, dad brings him clothes. Dad has this ornate robe, and he's had words spoken over him. And then he's had dreams, and he's had visions. He had one dream where all of the brothers bowed down. And so he's, he's like thinking, I'm going to be probably the head of the ranch. I'm probably going to be over all of the herds. And, and like there's a day where they're probably all going to die young maybe. I don't know what's going to happen, but maybe they'll get sickly, but I'm going to, it's all going to be up to me. I'm going to be in charge. And so he's had that dream. He had the dream about the moon and the sun bowing down. He's not sure what's up with that, but, but, uh, his dad's immediately offended over that, but he keeps it in his heart. And he's like, well, I don't know about that, but he's like, Oh, you mean mom and I are going to serve you? And wow, that's a little out there. And he's like, I I didn't know. I didn't know that's what the moon and the sun meant, but I don't know, dad, but I don't know. I'm just, I'm having these crazy dreams, but I I mean, you call me favored and, and, you know, and all the prophets that come through the, you know, the village, they've been calling me favored. And, you know, I've been knocked out four times in the spirit. And, you know, I mean, just, I've had all these experiences in God and, and yet every circumstance defied favor. Circumstance after circumstance defied favor. And there's pain after pain after pain up until this day, chapter 37. And then when the dreamer was coming, when the dreamer was coming, verse 12, the brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks, verse 12, in Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, go check on him. He goes out, see that's all as well. Uh, He gets a little uh, lost out there. Verse 15, he's wandering in the fields, needs his compass. Didn't graduate from Boy Scout. And then, verse 23, they strip him of his robe. They take, they throw him in the cistern. And then we know the story. It goes on. They sell him to the Midianite merchants. Verse 28, for 20 shekels of silver. And uh, then they lie about what's happened to him. They take the robe, get some blood on it, and go back home, tell Dad that he's dead. Says that, uh, uh, so did God... Did the Lord cause the brothers to beat Joseph up? Option A would say yes, absolutely, of course. Uh, That was God working sovereignly. Uh, That was God involved. And even Joseph declares it uh, further back in Genesis 45 when he says, you know, don't be mad at me. It was God that sent me ahead. So we can justify option A. We're going to justify option A um, because we find in chapter 45 it was... uh, it's Joseph's declaration, don't be mad at me. I mean, uh, don't, don't worry. He says, don't, don't worry, don't be concerned. Uh, don't, don't worry about retaliation. Uh, don't, don't be concerned that I'm going to. Now, the Pharaoh, he's the Pharaoh, chapter 45. Uh, he's second in command to the Pharaoh in Egypt. Remember the story? Anybody? Am I messing you up? You Okay. So chapter 45, you remember the brothers come down because there's a famine in the land. The, the brothers come down, and, and he has two or three exchanges with them. He sends them home at one point. Then they come back for more food. All the servants, he starts weeping. First thing he tells them is, don't be concerned for your life. I am Joseph, your brother, but don't be concerned for your life. I'm not going to kill you, harm you. I'm not going to take my wrath out on you. God sent me here ahead of you. Remember that? How many of you remember that? That's really good theology for option A. 
That's a part of where we can validate option A. Is it, okay, well, God was in my pain. Well, God caused this. God caused him to beat me up, and God caused him to throw me into the cistern. And, and then when I, when I got to Potiphar's house, and, you know, uh, God caused Potiphar's wife to, to get all carried away and excited about me, and that was a problem. And then God moved me to the prison, and I, God caused me to get to the prison. And that's, that's theology option A. If our view of God is that he has and does ordained harm, we cease to confront the harm. Well, they probably needed that fee wee 90 more than I did. Well, God bless them, they probably needed those jet skis. What, your son, uh, what, what, uh, your, your car was stolen, son, son. Well, let's just rejoice in that. Oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Option A. Well, uh, well, this was God's will. What will happen is you will rewrite your destiny path according to the harm. You'll seek to be led by the circumstances of the harm. You'll start to talk this way. This must be God's will. Well, everything happens for a purpose. You will allow the harm, submit to the harm. What can you do about the harm except for cry out to God? Because you won't see a way to alter the detour that the harm has thrown you into. You won't see how what's in your heart will come to pass now that the harm has come. Then it will, it will throw your heart subconsciously, your soul, the pain of soul, it will throw bruise more easily. The pain will become chronic. It will hurt much more than it should because your view of God is since God allowed it, God must be in this. How will my dreams ever come to pass? These things keep hitting you. These things keep slamming you. These things keep happening to you. It won't be long, and you'll be totally retreating on what God put in your heart. Now you move into confusion. Is God for me or is he against me? Everybody at church says God is good, but man, everything that's happening to me is really bad. It will confuse your relationship with people because even though somebody's telling you that people aren't your enemy, it's all of this harm is coming through people, and so how can you tell me that? And so it will create this this distance and this distrust, and it'll also begin to distort your relationship with God as much as you want trusting of Him, your daily trusting of Him. Can you really trust a God that keeps just doing this stuff to you? Well, well, He didn't do it, but He keeps allowing it. So option A, option A makes you get a little bit, have you ever like broken something, hurt something? I, I broke a rib falling off of a snowmobile, some of you remember a few years ago. And then I would have people come up and squeeze me and punch me. And it's like when you've got something damaged, I'm telling you, when you've got something damaged, there's a sensitivity there. And this is what happens when we choose option A in our theology, is that there, be, there, there remains in the soul a sensitivity. And the medication of worship won't fix it. The medication of praying in tongues won't fix it. The medication of another prophetic word won't fix it. There's something there, and it's because we've chosen this option A. We think the inner pain, but there's a fatalism 
in our pain related to God. You okay? I'm going longer than I should. But, but I want to I go to Joseph. Joseph's view of God contains something powerful. Here's Joseph's view of God coming out of Genesis 12, coming out of Abraham. God will use all circumstances to propel me into my destiny. God will use all circumstances to propel me into my destiny. When the enemy attacks, God will use it. When trouble comes, God will use it. When there's confrontation, God will use it. When there's loss, God will use it. When there's pain, God will use it. Whatever's happening, God will use it. God will use it. God will use it. God doesn't ordain it. God doesn't... It's not... This is the view of Joseph, and it comes out of, it comes out of Genesis 12. The land I will show you, I'll make you a great nation, I'll bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. There's this, there's this, there's this faith on the inside not that God caused this to happen, nor that he needed this to happen to get me to my destination, but he can use everything to get me to my destination. Joseph was the, was the forerunner of Romans 8.28, for God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. He was the forerunner of that. He was the forerunner of, of it doesn't matter what in the world the enemy throws at me. Okay, I'm thrown in a cistern. God will use that. Use that. I'm put in the prison. Wow, how's God going to use this? God's going to use this. This is so cool. Wow, God's going to use this. It's just you've got to shift your thinking. Shift your thinking. Shift your perspective. God can use every single pain in your history. Now, here's how this will help you. This will help you process your pain. Instead of fixating on it, lingering on it, crying on it, instead of, instead of holding on to it, this Theology, option B, will help you process your pain. Band, would you come? We need to close this morning. Joseph is a picture of the Son. He's a picture of Christ. He's a picture of the church, the church hidden in the Son. He's a picture of favor. He's a picture of that which is precious, covered with the favor on you that will overcome every circumstance when it's married to faith. Hebrews 6.12, don't be sluggish, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. The favor on you, the favor on you who are like Joseph in your generation is like oil on the duck's back when it comes to offense. Who can bring harm to you? Who can bring a charge that will turn you back? Who can bring a charge that will change your mind? Who can bring a charge that will alter your destiny? Who can bring a difficulty, a pain that can shift you off of course? No one. No one. 
no circumstance, and no person if you will marry your heart to God in faith. Let's stand this morning. Last week I said we need to give our pain over to God. Last week I said we need to give what's caused our pain over to God. Last week I said we need to cast our cares on God. But I really think that we're not motivated to do so if we have option A theology. If you think that that this is God's style of leadership, the only way he can get you to your destination is to inflict you with pain. That he's ordering your steps with pain. That he's guiding you with pain. Makes it real hard to process release, forgiveness. Makes it real hard to hand things over to him. The pain of soul until we shift our theology. Every head bowed, every eyes closed just for a moment this morning. Here's my invitation this morning. My invitation is to ask you to enter into Abraham's faith. With Joseph, that you would enter in to Abraham's faith. That you would believe for a moment that God can use every painful thing in your past to propel you into your future. And if he hasn't already used it, it's simply because you've not activated your faith. With disdain and pain and looking to despise those that cause pain. Instead of looking with hatred and animosity, instead of focusing this shame and regret over that which has caused pain, that you would see that God will turn that into a fulcrum of advancement. God is going to propel you in spite of pain, through pain, that God is going to use that pain powerfully? Come on, would you just begin to make a shift right there where you're standing? Make a shift. I want you to think of something that's caused you great pain, something that's caused you great loss. Using that pain. God's using that pain. God's using that pain. God's using that pain. He's going to propel you forward. Lord, we release you of distrust right now. We release you of distrust. We, we let go of not trusting you. We, we release you of, of inappropriate blame, blaming you for that which has caused pain in our lives and therefore allowing our theology to be distorted. We release you of that blame, Lord. We let that go this morning. We let that go this morning. Worship as we go. I'm up at the front. I'm going to ask you to carry this into this week. Carry this into this week. Carry this into this week. 
God's heart is so huge to restore you. His heart is so huge to restore you. But he's asking that you'll partner with him in faith. That you will grab every painful experience. Not let one of them be wasted with doubt, with fear, with unbelief, with discouragement, with heaviness, with torment of soul. But you will grab every single painful experience and say, God uses this. My soul. God restores my soul. God punishes the enemy. Father pursues my enemies, overtakes them, and recovers for me all that has been stolen. Lord, we believe that right now today. We thank you for it in Jesus' name.